Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight, I want to turn our attention to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. It's probably, I don't know, maybe in my, my top three or four favorite psalms in the book of Psalms. And I want to preach to you just for a few moments from the subject, hunger for God. And maybe I'm thinking about hunger because we're about halfway through the fast, and all of us are feeling that, and it seems very relatable. But I want to talk to you about hunger for God out of the words of the psalmist, because look at what David writes in Psalm 63 and verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now maybe you've heard this psalm before, probably you have. It's a very familiar psalm, especially for those who are believers in Jesus. It's a very popular psalm to quote. But to appreciate the weight and the significance of what David writes here, you have to understand some of what he's facing as he pins these words. And often when you're reading the Psalms or you're reading scripture, but especially in the Psalms, the Psalm will have a heading over it that speaks to, gives a little bit of context for what is happening in that particular Psalm. And in this Psalm, David is writing in the, the, the title over this song, if you, psalm, if you looked in your Bible, would say, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, that doesn't help us a whole lot, but it gives us a clue, gives us a clue. Then you add to that what you read in verse 9. Look at this. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. In other words, David's on the run right here. And what you learn from biblical history is that David isn't just on the run from anybody. He's on the run from his own family. In fact, he's been betrayed. His son Absalom, maybe his favorite son. You're not supposed to have favorites, parents. But from the pages of Scripture, it seems that David loved Absalom in a different kind of way. So the betrayal hurt all the more and him going behind his back and actually dethroning his own dad. David's on the run in the wilderness. David's lost his throne. So in a very real sense, you could say David's lost his family. David's lost his job. David's lost his home. And in the middle of that loss, what is his prayer? What's at the forefront of his cry to God. He says, I'm hungry for you. That's amazing. Okay, if you had lost your family, if one of your kids had betrayed you and gotten you fired at work, your career is over, or it looks that way. Not only that, but they're out to kill you. You're actually in hiding from your own kids. What's at the top of your prayer list? I know that I would struggle 
to not have at the top of mind, God, please rescue me and change their heart. God, I would like my livelihood back and my life back. It would be a struggle not to put that at the top of my prayer list, but David understands that what he needs most is God. In the moment of his greatest vulnerability, in the moment of his greatest weakness, in the moment of his greatest, no doubt, fear and sadness, he knows what he needs is Almighty God. And so what does he do? He declares his hunger for God. Oh God, my God, my soul faints for you. I'm hungry for you. It's like I'm in a, it's like I'm in a desert without any water. That's how much I want you. I only want you. And as I read that, I think, where does hunger for la- like that come from? Where does that level of focus and intentionality and desire and deep down, oh God, if I don't have you, I don't have anything. And so I know I've lost all of this, but what I ultimately want, what I'm desperate for, what I'm seeking, what I'm hungering for is the living God. Regardless of what's falling apart around me, that's what I want because that's what I need. I need you. What cultivates that kind of hunger? And there are four truths that we're going to look at from this psalm that give us insight into the spiritual life and a hunger like David had. How do you have a hunger like that? How do you live and pursue God with a hunger like that? Because it's only in living like that and pursuing God like that that you experience all that he wants to do in your life and the riches of knowing him. And he wants you to know him. So four truths about how that hunger is cultivated. And the first truth is this. Hunger grows out of a decisive commitment. Go back to verse 1. Verse 1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, if you know your Bible, something about this verse may stick out to you. David is using covenantal language. In other words, God in the Old Testament, when he was establishing his people, he came to a man called Abram before he was called Abraham, and God made a very specific declaration to Abraham, who was at that point called Abram. In Genesis 17, God said, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God. I will be your God. What does David say back to God? Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, I know you said you'll be my God, but you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. I've made a, de- a decisive commitment. I've made it, I'm making a declaration right now in this moment that that's what my life is about. My life is about you. You're my God. You're my aim. You're my focus. You're what I'm about. And you know what? Hunger always begins with a decisive declaration, a decisive commitment. It makes me think about 18-year-old Jonathan Edwards, this great preacher of the first great awakening, Writing hundreds of years ago, he tells us about the moment that he made a decisive commitment 
to hunger solely after God. Look at what Jonathan Edwards writes. On January 12, 1723, I made a solemn dedication of myself to God and wrote it down, giving up myself and all that I had to God to be for the future in no respect my own, to act as one that had no right to himself in any respect and solemnly vowed to take God for my whole portion and felicity, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were. And his law for the constant rule of my obedience, engaging to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life. I don't know about you, but that kind of stirs my blood a little bit. Like that is a decisive commitment. And hunger begins with you saying, I'm going to be hungry for him. Decisive commitment. It's, it's, you know what, God, you're the one who dictates my schedule. God, you have it. My life is about you, so my schedule is about you. God, my Wednesday nights are about you. That's why you're here tonight. You made a commitment, a decisive commitment. It was storming, it was raining, and you said, oh, no, I'm going to be in the house of God. That's a decisive commitment. That's saying I've got a hunger for God that outweighs my desire for comfort. That's powerful. I'm going to be in the prayer meeting. God, I give you my family. I'm making a commitment. We're going to be about you. Parents, there is great value. And I believe great detriment on the other side. But there's great value when you tell your kids, this is what we're about. This is what we're about. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're about. It's a decisive commitment. It sets a tone. This is what my life is going to be about. So hunger grows out of a decisive commitment. But that's not where hunger stops. Hunger is fueled by time in God's presence. It's fueled by moments just like this. Look at what David says. Go back to Psalm 63. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. In other words, David is going back in his mind and he's remembering Oh, I've been in the sanctuary. I've experienced God's power and his glory. I've had moments in worship where I was so enveloped in his presence, where I felt his nearness. Oh, God, that's why I'm hungry. That fuels me to say, I want more. I want more. Here's the thing. This is coming from a man who's in the middle of the wilderness running for his life. No job, no family, looking at a future that is very bleak. And it makes me think, when I read this, how many of you have known people and that regardless what they were walking through, there was a stability about the way they navigated life. They were not shaken. Oh, there may have been a storm raging around them, but they did not respond to the storm. The storm responded to them. Have you known somebody like that? They were stayed. There was a solidity. Their trust in God didn't waver. You know what? I will bet you this, that when you think about that person, whoever they are, they were somebody who had made a decisive commitment, who was grounded in God's word, who was worshiping with God's people, who was committed to the house of God, because David is telling us right here, when you've been in the sanctuary, when you beheld his power and his glory, it gives you solidity and a foundation in the storm. It just does. 
It gives you the foundation you need when the storms of life press on you. It fortifies you. And it also orients you and fuels a hunger for God. I love what Warren Wearsby says. Listen to this quote. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. What life does to you will depend on what life finds in you. You don't have control of the world around you, but you know the one, and you can deeply know the one who controls the world around you. David says, I'm hungering for God, and that hunger has come out of a decisive commitment, and that hunger has been fueled by time in God's presence, but that hunger is also compelled by an awareness of God's goodness. Look at verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now think about what he is saying there. David is putting himself through the paces on who God is. He's putting himself through the paces on God's goodness. He's reminding himself. He's walking through. But he's not just saying, God, you're this, and God, you're this, and God, you're this. What is he doing? He says, your love is better than life. In other words, he is making an assessment. He's doing an evaluation. He's making an appraisal of just how valuable God's presence and God's person actually are. How valuable God's love is. It's better than life. Here's the thing. We will be prone to undervalue what we don't appraise. You will always be prone to undervalue what you don't appraise. This is why so many marriages are so weak. Why? Because they don't do what they once did. You all remember when you were dating? It's like you were constantly appraising one another. It's like, baby, you're the most beautiful. I've never seen a girl who looks like you. I've never, if there's, there's nobody on the earth who touches you. No, 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 no. You're the handsomest. You're this, the handsomest. And you're on the phone. You know, some of you were, you were high school sweethearts and these 3 a.m. phone calls. No, you, I, you know what? Okay, I'll go, I'll go. I'm still there. Okay, you know what? I just, I want to tell you, I love you so much. And I'm just so, I mean, God, I can't believe God gave me somebody like you. I mean, you're like so smart and it's your eyes and then they sparkle in the moonlight. And you know, like you just can't stop. You're constantly appraising them. You're constantly saying, you're, you're so beautiful. You're so gorgeous. You're so handsome. You're so smart. You're so kind. You're so loving. I can't believe I have a guy like you. I can't believe I have a girl like you. This never stops. Honestly, I think this is one of the reasons why Becky and I's marriage is strong. In fact, I'm going to ask her to come up here. She doesn't know I'm going to do this, but would you just, would you just for just a teensy tiny minute, see if she'll come up here. But if you don't, I'm going to tell you some things you might not know about uh, Rebecca Ann Lindell. <laughs> this woman is very courageous. You're courageous, babe. You've walked through a lot in the last year and a half, and you've done it with monumental faith. You've loved your kids selflessly day after day, moment after moment. 
I learned a lot about how to love them by watching you. I had them by myself this last weekend because she was on her girls' trip, and I constantly found myself thinking, what would Becky do? And it was harder than what I would do. It was so much harder, but so much better for the kids. Um, would Becky take a nap right now and let them do whatever they wanted? No, but I'm sure tempted to do that. Like, but you don't. You don't take a day off. You love me. You speak life into me. I asked you to come in here and listen to me preach, and you were helping in the kids' area, and you said, really? And I said, please, and you said, okay. And you're beautiful, and you're God's greatest gift to me outside of salvation, and I love you so, 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 so much. I love you to the moon and back. Come on, bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Come on, dude. Yeah, you don't get to give my wife flowers. That's a good man. I love you. She's the best. She's the best. She's the best. So here's the thing. We tend to undervalue what we don't appraise. And so... The psalmist, he is leaning into that reality and he's saying, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Do I praise God because he said, you have to praise me? No, I praise him because his love is better than life. There's nothing better in the universe. There's nothing better than all the galaxies than you. I can't help. It's the only natural response is to praise you. So as we appraise, we get a sense of God's goodness and the depth. Here's the thing. And the more that you go down that rabbit trail, the more goodness you find. More you, the more, so here's the thing I would say to some of you as we talk about hunger. Some of you, maybe, just maybe, you showed up tonight because you felt like that's the right thing to do. Like, I should, I should go to the prayer meeting. You showed up online because you're like, that's the right thing to do. I, I, should, I should watch. And yet, you recognize there's an absence of the hunger that I'm talking about. Here's what I would say to you. An absence of hunger sometimes indicates a limited menu. What do I mean by that? So Owen just recently graduated very, like, you know, he's 13, and a lot of kids' menus end at 12. If you're a parent, you know that. It's like looking for that. Like, 12, are we sure? Are you, how strict are you on that? You know, like, um, because, and we were on vacation earlier in the summer, and I kept, I was, I was like, do you want to eat off the kids' menu? Because they say you could, they don't care, you know? Like, and he was like, no. He wears a size 11 and a half now. He doesn't want to eat off a kid's menu. I'm sorry, like that, that ship has sailed, Dad. But I still try. I'm like, those look like generous portions. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. If you're hungry, we'll order another one. And he's like, I'd prefer a New York strip. And you're like, really? Oh, man. Um, here's the thing. The kid's menu usually has about four things on it. Chicken tenders. It's got like butter noodles. It's got like macaroni and cheese and a hot dog. Sometimes you're not hungry for that. Sometimes Owen walks in and he's like, yeah, I don't want butter noodles. I don't want macaroni and cheese. Here's the thing. 
if you, what's funny is when you're a kid, that sounds great. It's like, I'll have the hot dog again. I'll, you know what? Oh, I think I'll treat myself and have butter noodles. You know, like that's, you know, it's like you don't have a problem with that. But as you grow, you start to go, I'm not really, you know, the hot dog ain't doing it for me. You know, I just am, I'm not feeling, I'm not, my appetite for that is just not, I don't know, it's just not there. But when you graduate out of the kid's menu, especially at a nice restaurant, not only do they have more options, but they might even have like a chef's special. They might have a seasonal menu. It's like, oh, this is all new. This is a fish of the day. This is a soup, soup du jour. Who knew? Like, you're just, your mind is, it's a whole new world. Can I tell you, some of us need to stop eating off the kids' menu spiritually. You can graduate. There's more in God for you. He's got greater things for you. And if you're not hungry, maybe it's that you've come in, you're coming into church, you're coming into God's Word, you're coming into prayer, expecting the same thing that you've always eaten. And he says to you, I've got more. I've got more. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? God wants to stir your appetite. I'm going to ask the team to come back up. Fourth, hunger produces enjoyment of God. Look at this in verse four. Verse four. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. C.S. Lewis wrote that as a young Christian, it used to really bother him that as he read God's word, he kept seeing these references to God saying, praise me, you know, praise me, my people, or worship the Lord in the sanctuary, you know, lift up your voice, lift a shout of praise. He was like, why is God constantly asking people to praise him? And he said, I, I viewed God a little bit like an egomaniac. I didn't understand. But in reflecting on the Psalms, listen to what he writes. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author or to be able to, and not to be able to tell anybody how good he is, or to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent and find no one to share it with. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. You know what? God wants to stir hunger in you that causes you to go more wholeheartedly after him because he knows the result of that is the joy he wants to give you. God is about your joy. And so in stirring you to hunger after him, to thirst after him, to compel you to go deeper into him is ultimately to compel you to a place in him that you haven't known yet, to experience a joy that is foreign to you in this moment, but won't be on the other side of you pressing in. He's got more for you. 
but it starts with hunger. It starts with saying, God, I'm hungry for you. God, I'm seeking you. God, I'm done with the kids menu. I'm moving on because there's more for me of you than I've begun to imagine, and I'm going hard after you.